Today I'm going to be talking to us about, um, about who we are and who we're supposed to be. It's interesting to me that Jesus said these words. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Have you ever thought of how people introduce themselves? They'll introduce themselves, and then once you start talking with them, I had this happen to me several times over the weekend. Uh, what's the next question? What do you do? It's this identity on what do you do? Who are you going to be? Let me see if you measure up with my job. Let me see if you measure up with the amount of money I make. Let me see if you measure up with my profession. You know, several years ago, uh, who we wanted to be in the United States of America were really servants. I, I truly believe that. I used to go uh, today every, every, matter of fact, today you can't even get a card to serve you. I was filling up with diesel all the way down, pulling the travel trailer all the way down to uh, College Station this weekend. And every time I pull up to get the $5.15 diesel that we don't need to talk about that's going to be supposedly obsolete in a couple weeks, but when I'd pull in and, and put my card in, you know, it always say, please come see the cashier. And I don't know if you're like me, but that bothers me. I'm like, golly, now I got to walk in. Then they're telling me how much money is going to cost to fill it up. Well, I don't know, you know, more than yesterday. That's all I know. And so, you know, we're throwing things down and, and it used to be a place where you'd pull in and it was full service. You've heard me talk about this. I remember my mother pulling into full service. They check the oil, they do the windows, they fill your car up and you'd pay them out the window and then you'd be on your way. You know, it's interesting to me how we identify with our professions, how we identify with our talents, how we identify with all the, the, the ways of a man and what should become or be or prove that we are men. But the greatest proof that we can have as men, men, is the proof of being a servant. The proof of being willing to put our lives out there for the sake of others, because that's who Jesus was. In Matthew chapter 16, very famous here, Matthew 16 is probably one of the most famous uh, chapters throughout all of Scripture, because there are several things that happen in Matthew chapter 16. But one of the things that happens in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are. Now, he didn't say it this way. You're the greatest carpenter I've ever seen. That nativity that you made is incredible. I hope we see that one day on our shelf. He didn't say, well, um, I think you're the best fisherman I've ever encountered, the best preacher I've ever heard. That's not what he said. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, what was important wasn't what his profession was. It wasn't necessarily what he did. What was important is who he was, not what he was. And we've got to learn that, that the who must be defined in us men long before the what. And this is the problem with our children today. I was every night I, I watch a, um, an Alaska guy that uh, he's been an Alaska guide for years and years and years, like for 20, 30 years. And um, he always has a devotional while he's guiding. And, and I usually watch him every single every single night. And, and uh, matter of fact, drives Allison crazy because I fall asleep while he's talking. And they're hunting, and when they're moose hunting, they're moose calling. That wakes her up. You ever heard a moose call? Anyway, it goes forever. But I listened to this guy, and, he, and this is what he said last night as I was listening to him. He said, you know, I am, by the time I was 12, 
I already knew what I wanted to become. Now, what bothers me about that is he didn't say, I, did, I already knew who I wanted to become. He said, I knew what I wanted to become. This weekend, while I was in College Station, I was pushing a basket around an HEB because we don't have an HEB here. So it's my understanding that if you don't have an HEB, if you go somewhere that does have an HEB, you must be an HEB. And I have never been in, in a store where I've seen the shelves swiped clean. I'm talking there was no meat. There was nothing in this store. There were people everywhere, but there was absolutely, I mean, there wasn't one package of turkey meat left. There's nothing. Not that I eat turkey. I'm just saying. Nothing. And this little girl was in there, and she was trying to go through and find her something to eat, and I could tell. And she was pushing a basket, and she had it all together. She was one of those. She was dressed really nice, dressed really professional. You could tell she was a college student there at Texas A&M. It just so happened that when we went through the checkout, we both came together, and I said, I noticed you were shopping back there on the back where there is nothing on the shelf. She said, I've never seen it like this. I've never seen it. So we get in this little conversation. I said, okay. I said, um, you go to school here at Texas. And my son's standing right here and he's, he's in the core down at AM. Y'all have heard me talk about him. And, and I'm thinking, you know, she's a cute little girl. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to show him how to do this. I'm going to introduce him. You know, I had a great idea, a little plan in my pocket. And so I told her, I, I said, well, you know, what's your major? And she said, biomedical engineering. Okay, we're going somewhere. Let's let's keep this conversation going. So then I I said, uh, you must be going to become a doctor. And she said, yes, I'm applying to med school. And she was just very expressionable and just, I, I mean, engaging. And I was like, wow, this is a cute little girl. So then I had to ask the question, are you a Christian? And she said, absolutely not. And I'm going to tell you, she was so absolute in it that I didn't even know how to respond. I, I I didn't say good for you. I, I at least held my tongue there. I was just like, well, I, I hope you'll see one day. You know, it's good visiting with you. And sorry you couldn't find what you were looking for in HEB, but I enjoyed the conversation. I went on. And Wade was like, Dad, why do you do that? You know, anyway, I don't know. But here's the truth. The truth is, is that people need the truth. And they can't receive the truth if we don't know the truth. And the first truth that we must know is who we are, men. It, 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 I started with Jesus saying, the greatest among you will be the servant of all, and that Jesus himself said that I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. We identify ourselves as men through our professions. Well, I've done this. I've achieved this. Look at the size of my house. Look at the vehicles I drive. Look at the grass I grow. Now, hopefully you grow the right kind of grass, okay? But this is how we identify as men, and we think this is what makes us men. But have you ever thought, well, I'm the chief servant among them all? I remember years ago, I like to share this about David McDonald. He and I were good friends. He was killed over in Iraq in 2004, March of 2004. But one day we were walking up in the First Baptist Church. Now, now we didn't attend the First Baptist Church. I don't even know why we were in the First Baptist Church. We're going up the stairs of the First Baptist Church there in Canyon. When you go up the first flight of stairs, it's a huge picture of Jesus. And I said, who is that, David? And he said, oh, that guy's our chief custodian. And I, I've never forgotten what he said. And then he goes, he's cleaned a lot of toilet bowls in my life. You know, do we ever identify as the chief servant among them all? Are we still willing to serve or is our worth based upon what our salary pays us? Is our worth based on what other people think of us? Is our worth based upon how we see ourselves, much less how we try to promote ourselves through being someone 
or something instead of someone who God called us to be. You know, I hear things like this where I used to go to church. We had the greatest pastor, the most amazing youth minister. I led the largest choir ever assembled in Randall County. We see it on TV from the time of Muhammad Ali, Mr. T, and the children's episode, Barney. What are they always saying? I'm the greatest. I don't know how many commercials out there today say you deserve it. You deserve this. You are the greatest. So more so than ever, we have kids competing at such a level in athletics and believing they're going to be the greatest. I came from a place this weekend where I uh, worked on this message, and I absolutely uh, saw where, um, of course, they have to replay it over and over and over, Jimbo Fisher and, and how he talks about Alabama and how he has the number one recruiting class for the year and everything else. Well, he's got all these number one recruits, and what, three or four of them didn't even play this week because they're smoking weed or stealing stuff or shooting each other or getting guns, whatever. It makes no difference how athletic you are if that's where your attention comes from. If you can't put a team, if you can't learn to serve, you know, we used to always say in the Army, uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So you better find your weakest link and serve them and help them get to a better place in life. The question we always hear from a young age is, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I shared this some years ago that, that this should not be even the question that we ask. The question should be, who are you going to be when you grow up? See, we go, we, we go around asking this question. I have thought this many times and maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe it should be, who do you want to be when you grow up? And it sounds kind of odd that we would say Jesus, but Jesus says that he is the greatest when it, it, the greatest servant of all, that he did not come to be served. He said that if you're going to be the greatest, you're going to be the greatest servant of all. Instead of saying, I'm the chief custodian, why can't we just be the custodian? (laughs) So here's where we are, men. We are all called to serve, but men who refuse to serve and men who see their identity in anything other than Jesus are men who are failing not only themselves, but the next generation. You know, how many of us have known doctors who are only in it for the money? They don't care about people. They care about homes. They care about golf courses. They care about their investments. I had a doctor that used to fly me around everywhere. And uh, really, really, uh, uh, this man wanted me to counsel him. So what I did is I assigned him uh, scripture for every day for a month. And I said, the day you don't have it memorized, the day I quit meeting with you. This was a doctor. I'm just a pastor that doesn't know anything but Jesus, which is everything. And he stayed with me that entire time in that brilliant mind. He could just quote those scriptures like that. And I saw a transition in him. But he had so many investments. He was so preoccupied with everything else that today he's no longer with us. And he was just a handful of years older than I am. Lawyers. Doesn't matter today if you're innocent or guilty. I'll defend you based upon what I can make and how much it will empower me. How much I can prove to the world. How good and how great I am. Professional athletes, many who go into depression when the glory days are over because they never identified the who, they only knew the what. They often lead lives of disorder and chaos, always expecting more, always looking for people to serve them instead of realizing they were given a gift to serve others. Pastors that are in it for the profession instead of the calling. 
You know, uh, I, I remember some years ago, I was, I was at a pastor's conference, and while we were there, there was a lot of arguing that was going on. It was actually uh, a general conference, and so the mic was set up. There were three mics set up and a 1,000 people there, and they were arguing over benefits and some other things. One pastor said, hey, I'm, I'm going to turn in my credentials if you don't pay me so much, and it just so happened that I knew this pastor, and I found him in the hallway Maybe he found me, I don't know, but we came together, and this is what he told me. And I wrote his quote down in my journal, so this is exactly what he said. He said, my education is equivalent to that of an NBA, and I will not be compensated any less. As a pastor, what about you? Does your job define you? Do your clothes define you? What defines us, men? Jesus was the son of a carpenter. He was a carpenter, but that's what he did. That's not who he was. He was God in the flesh, the, the, the Son of God, and yet was God, our Savior, our Lord, and he knew who he was, and yet he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You ever think about Daniel? Daniel is powerful, as strong of a man as he was. Did you know Daniel was a eunuch? Oh, that ought to get your attention. We're all men in here. I'll put that in there for a reason. <laughs> okay, hang on. But he's made to serve a crazy king. He did it, and he did it well, and he was promoted because it wasn't the what that made him who he was. It was who he knew, and that made him who he was. Our society has been so focused on the what that we have neglected the who. You know, one of my first deaths in Wolferth was a pharmacist who shot himself. Matter of fact, the, the very first death I had when I took the church there. And the majority of my counseling, it, it, it's interesting to me because he had the what identified and, and he, he was very successful, had his own pharmacy and everything else and yet took his own life. See, the majority of my counseling is not with the poor, with the helpless, with families who are trying to survive, but oftentimes it's the professionals who look and seem to have it all together. So let's look at Jesus for just a moment. John chapter 4, there's this woman. And you know it, John 4, 1 through 26, the woman had five, was living now with a sixth husband. Well, it really wasn't her husband, just to live in. The Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. He reveals her, his identity first to her. And, and it's interesting to me that in that, he not only reveals his identity, but he says, hey, you're going to worship me in spirit in this place, right? As a matter of fact, the temple is moving. And what he's trying to say is there's going to be a temple in your heart that's big enough to receive me, and that's going to give you the identity. You're trying to find identity in all these other things and all these other men. It's not going to be there. But then later on in John chapter 8, there's another story that happens. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made their stand before the group and Jesus said, teacher, this, oh, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stopped, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go a different direction. Come towards me. You know, because when you leave a life of sin, the only way you really can is to go one way, and that's towards Jesus. The men wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted her held responsible, watch this, for their sin. You ever want somebody else held responsible for your sin? Do you ever realize and recognize one of the reasons why we become angry in life is because we're holding on to something that we should let go, and we want some, someone or something to pay for that? That's oftentimes how it is. See, there is, there is no money if she has no clients. So this woman that's caught in the very act of adultery was probably being paid. It's interesting to me that the Pharisees are the ones that bring her before Jesus. What she was in life was to Jesus not near as important as who she was and what she was created for. She is a soul in Jesus' eyes, a valid person, someone who has the ability to feel, someone who hurts, who laughs, who loves. She has all those things. Prior to this, in John chapter 4, Jesus had met this woman at the well that we just spoke of. He does the same thing. She's had five husbands, living with a six. Jews didn't speak to Samaritans, but what she was, what she was, was about to be reinstituted by who she can become in Christ Jesus. The what's going to be changed by the who in John chapter 4. She meets the truth, and because of that, he changes her way. This is why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is Jesus. And Jesus wants our who defined long before the what, men. And we have a responsibility to the next generation. The reason why we see the world out of control the way it is, the the reason why it's spinning is because there's no true north. We all know this. We said, you know, I, I was at church Sunday listening to another preacher, and he had an excellent sermon, but afterwards, uh, Allison had a couple of questions, and Wade had a couple of questions for me, simply stating, well, he said that not only was Jesus somewhat of a pacifist, but we ought to be pacifist as well, because our kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't be concerned about politics. And I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> He simply said, we're not supposed to follow politicians as though they're gods. And I I truly agree with that. But you don't think we ought to speak up? One of the reasons why we're in the mess we're in is because the church has remained silent. We've not trained the next generation. We've not taught the next generation how to be bold in their faith. The next generation thinks the what is more important than the who. And that's getting us into all kinds of trouble. See, we teach our children to answer the what long before the who, and it's backwards. A child who knows who they are will not be influenced by the wrong of what possibly the world wants them to become. John 3, 16, and when Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water. That's not John. That's not John 3, 16. In John chapter 3, oh, that's Matthew 3. Okay, I wrote it wrong. I've got John 3.16. This is Matthew 3.16. You can check me on this, but I think my memory serves. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice something here. Jesus has not done any ministry yet. 
The only thing he's done is be baptized. And when he came up out of the water, his father immediately gives him an identity. People who know the who will be far more effective in their what, whatever their what may be. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, there's two men went to the temple to pray. You know this story. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, Hey, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. How do you think Jesus saw that? Well, you self-righteous hypocrite. You whitewashed tomb. Right? There's a problem here because this person thought, the what he was outside of knowing Jesus was his identity and because he could wear the phylacteries on his forehead and because he qualified through the Levitical tribe and because he had done all these things, he can stand unblemished in the temple of God. And yet there's this one that's in there that is just falling on his knees, tearing his robe and saying, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. I mean, Jesus goes on to talk about, hey, which one went before his father justified? There's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus could have fit in this. It's interesting in this story in Luke chapter 18 because if you know anything about tax collectors, tax collecting was the most evil anyone any uh, could do in their day and time. I mean, tax collectors were seen as so evil because so they, they, they could command a tax from anyone they wanted to for as much as they wanted. They could find a way to keep taxing you, even beyond inflation, men. Y'all know inflation's a hidden tax. Come on, go do your study. All right, taxes aren't going up. Let's keep going. But here's the thing about a tax collector. They couldn't go uh, uh, near a temple. They couldn't go within what we would say today, 50 to 100 feet of a temple because they were seen as so wretched. And here's one that, that managed to belly crawl his way in. Jesus makes an example. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but Jesus didn't care about his profession. He cared about his state. He cared about his identity. Jesus was about to give him a new identity, men. Now, I'm not getting on to professionals here. I think it's important. I think it's important to, to, to find your gifting and your gift set. You know, I've told uh, my son and uh, my daughters many times, look, if, if you're good in these areas, you've got a gifting in those areas. You've got a, a lean towards those areas. That's great. That's great. Do all you can to enhance those areas. Just know who you are in those areas, right? We're not trying to become doctors and lawyers and all these great professions that pay all this money so that we can have all this stuff because Jesus himself, as the son of God and the very God himself, As he pulled the flesh on and came to this earth, he said, the greatest among you will be the servants of all. You want to be great? Talk about how you serve. Show me how you serve in this life. So I'm not getting on to professionals, but professionals ought to use their gift set to serve. I went to see the doctor the other day, personal friend of mine. She came in, uh, and and by the end, we hadn't even done anything. Her nurse comes in 30 minutes later. We're in there laughing, having a good time. And she's like, uh, um, Tori, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Tori, I didn't mean to call you out. You don't watch this anyway. You're going to tell her? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you see her tomorrow. <laughs> and Tori was like, and the nurse came in and said, Tori, uh, your next patient's ready. You got to get out of here. And she's like, oh, Curtis, let me listen to your heart. 
Sound good. All right, get out of here. Now, that doesn't sound good. She had all my blood work done a couple of weeks before that. But here's the thing. I'm not getting on to professionals. What I love about people who are like that, they're in it for the right reason. They're looking into you. They're seeing you. They're using their gift sets for you, regardless of what it pays, right? And so I'm not getting on professionals. Sometimes I feel like instead of getting on professionals, we need to get on to parents, including myself. When we don't raise our children with a who first and we only care about what we tend uh, and we only care about the what, and I hear this all the time. I mean, I, 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 most pilots, they become fascinated with planes when they're, when they're young and they go, man, I want to join the Air Force. I want to drive, I, I want to fly one of those F-16s. I want to, you know, and they're, they're concerned about the what. And so we raise them up saying, yeah, that's what we want you to do. That's what we want you to become. And why? Because we want them to be able to take care of themselves and their families. The what is very important, but not prior to the who. See, we tend to raise orphans when they don't know the who, who they are. I deal with this in my own children. Look, though they may become professionals one day, their lives can still wind up, watch, having no meaning. Just because they're successful in our culture's eyes does not mean they're successful before our Lord. They could wind up realizing they climbed the ladder of success just to find out what is leaning against the wrong wall. Worse yet, what if they don't make it professionally? You ever known anybody who shot for a goal and missed it? If you don't know who you are, here's what happens. You miss that goal. You miss that opportunity. I was telling Allison on the way back yesterday, I said, you know, I missed the opportunity of a lifetime. I said, you know, when we didn't buy that land, we were crossing uh, over the Prairie Fork of the Red River. Y'all know where that is? So we're crossing over that, and I had an opportunity one time to buy 980-something acres right there, and I don't want to tell you what I could have bought it for. And I didn't buy it. And I've gone back and checked on that land, and you don't want to know what it brings today. But I said, that realtor called me like three or four times, Curtis, you need to jump on this. I was doing a little rollover. I'd sold some land outside of Happy at the time. Oh, it's a little more than what I want. But here's the truth. The truth is, it doesn't matter how successful you are according to the culture. What matters is how servanthood-oriented you are according to Christ Jesus. Because if you're going to be great in his eyes, he says, you have to have your identity in me, and here's the proof in the pudding. Are you willing to pour yourself out for the sake of others? Jesus' plan, that we might have life and have it abundantly, and you won't have it when it's all about you. The world tells you when it's all about you, you have life. Jesus tells, tells us the more mature we get, the more it becomes about someone else, the more it becomes about our giving instead of our taking, the more we'll have life and find it in abundance. So it's a pretty easy message this morning. If your who hasn't been answered yet, listen to the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, the greatest in my eyes are those who are the servants of all. This will answer the who one day because what happens when, when we really know the who we are, that I'm sorry, it will answer the what because we'll lean into the gift sets that he has for us and that he's given to us. To be the greatest, we'll learn to be the servants of all. So men, some of us may need to answer that question. Who is the greatest among us? Is my profession more important than my calling? 
And what is my calling? Well, all of our calling in many ways is the same, to serve. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this, your message. Father, as we study the word this morning at our table, grow us up and send us forth as servants into this world to watch others come to know you in your name. Amen.